Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religion, Regimes and Refugees in a Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have been away for four months. Yes, my friends, away for four months because I was terribly ill. I was very, very badly hit with... um, with uh, an issue, a viral issue, and it took me a lot, took my voice away, took my strength away, could not stand, could not speak, and it's taken me four months to rebuild my voice, rebuild my energy, and and rise up again. So I do apologize for being away for so long, and I will, um, and I missed you all, and I'm so grateful to be able to have my health back and and come back online, and and so I am here to you with you today, but for the very first time in one in four months i hope you've all been well i hope you had a great um season uh holiday season and a very very happy new year 2023 to all of you from all around the world so a happy 2023 um um, today, uh, there is so much that's gone on in the, in the last four months. So, so very much. Uh, what can I say? I don't know where to begin. I've been falling some of it, some of it, no, because I was not well. I didn't have the energy. Uh, I read some books, but it's taken a while to get my energy back and my concentration back to read books. Uh, but here I am and I hope, uh, you know, we can have this conversation and continue going forward. Uh, one of the things that, um, has occurred is that we've had the first Indian Asian uh, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom in Rishi Sunak and congratulations to him. Um, but I want to explain to you uh, a little bit of a little background for Rishi Sunak. Um, a little background for Rishi Sunak because I share something common with him and I and I, I researched his history, his family history, and I found it very interesting because I share a very common uh, something in common with him. I had family in East Africa. His parents came from East Africa, so he's a second generation immigrant into the United Kingdom. Um, a lot has been said about it. How his parents rebuilt his life from the start. He was a small business owner, uh, owners, and um, you know they came from Af- from Africa. Like I said, I don't know with anything or not, but you know, pretty much the people who came during that time had nothing. Um, and um, in 1968, Kenya expelled a lot of Indians. And 1972, Idi Amin expelled a lot of Indians from Uganda, and one of them was my family. Uh, and so. This is pretty much the first stories that I remember from my childhood. Uh, the expulsion of Asians from East Africa in 1968-1972. I was not born then. I was born within the decade later. But my family came back from Uganda. Now, they were born there. So they're second, first and second generation Ugandans. Oh, I, I'm so, One of the places in East Africa, I really don't remember which one. Uh, but they were in East Africa. And I know they came back home because they came back and they were put up um, in our ancestral home, which at that point didn't have electricity uh, in the villages, but we had no other place to stay. Um, 
and my father was in the city, so it was very, very difficult at time. But pretty much, those are the first images I had, and images that I, um, I stories that I remember. And I remember after that, my uh, family migrating to Europe after that. But uh, it has been difficult for them, and so because I share a common thread with Rishi Sunak, I thought I would go back into this time, into the currents that form his waves and the waves of most Indians, uh, a lot of Indians. Uh, who share same com commonality. Uh, and I thought we would, uh, you know, research this time because it's very important, a junction, an intellectual laboratory. We can learn a lot from this junction in life, and it's very important for us to understand. So I uh, did a lot of research on the expulsion of uh, Asians, Indian Asians, Asians and Indians uh, from East Africa. Oh, in 1972, which is exactly 50 years uh, this year uh, or last year. And um, I'm going to read for you an article from International Business Times that was printed, uh, came out in 2003, so, you know, 20 years ago. But it, it pretty much sums up everything I, I uh, you know, I want to tell you. So I'm just going to go through this article and you can access it online. I will print, I will put a link on my Facebook page. So here it goes. 40, 50 years ago, the brutal dictator of Uganda, General Idi Amin, ordered the deportation of countries Asian population. Population, which com mostly compromised of Indian Gujaratis who lived in East African country for more than a hundred years. The order by Amin is in 1972 created a diplomatic crisis involving Uganda, India, and Great Britain. Uh, Indians have often been the target of resentment and violence throughout their such. Uh, uh, Time in uh, in South Africa, um, in Southern Africa, indeed, as as reasons for the expulsion order, I mean, cited that the Ugandan Indian community had exploited the local economy um, and refused to integrate with Black African people after a century in the country. I mean, committed many atrocities during his bloody rule of Uganda, including the mass murder of up to three hundred thousand of his own people. In that respect, the expulsion of ninety thousand Asians from the country has been overshadowed over the years. Amin himself was overthrown in 1979. The expansion is largely forgotten today except by Ugandan Asians themselves and their descendants who have spread across, across the world. For them, it was a traumatic experience which highlighted the inherent insecurity of migrants and their place in a rapidly changing world. Um, Vishwa Samni... Uh, so, this article is written by Vishwa Samani, is a London-based freelance journalist and a descendant of expelled Ugandan Asians. Um, so, um, most what she basically says is most of the expelled Ugandan Asians I have interviewed who now live in the UK, say they came, the, the order came as a complete shock and there was no real indication it was going to happen. When Idi Amin came to power, he made the working conditions for business favorable. Many Indians, especially non-citizens that engaged in business, commerce and trade actually viewed Amin's assumption of power with some relief. There are, have been fear surrounding uh, measures introduced by his predecessor, Milton Obot, 
over entry points and economic reforms that sought to address redress the balance between Asians and non-Africans. But after 1971, Idi Amin has started offering residence permits, uh, granting import licenses to businesses, and generally opening up, opening up the market for importation. Asian business people started to repatriate capital investments back to Uganda. Early age measures introduced by Amin were not exclusively beneficial to Asians, but Asians operated the majority of business and trade. They benefited from them the most. Most expelled Asians felt settled in Uganda. Indeed, many of the parents were born in Uganda, a second generation, and was regarded as their home country. I have... Uh, so Amin, Amin's erratic behavior and eccentric behavior did some people uh, at that time not take the expulsion order seriously and dismiss it as a joke. I have not come across anyone who dismissed it as a joke, but it is fair to say that many Asians felt it simply a threat and that it would be overturned. Through diplomacy, many Asians believed that Britain, the British uh, would arrive at a negotiated settlement by which by which the order would be re-engineered. Uh, but this obviously did not happen. Most in Asians did not seem to be a strong opinion about Idi Amin as a person, and most say his erratic behavior became visible only in the later years. Um, from what is described, the Indian community mainly kept to themselves uh, and were either operating businesses or working as civil servants and, and as doctors and lawyers. Uh, Amin's predecessor, Opte, introduced measures that prevented Indians from trading in certain areas, but Amin did not further hinder, did nothing to further to hinder Indian business activity. In fact, he relaxed trade that benefited Asians. Um, African Ugandans themselves have strongly associated with respective tribes. So it was difficult to lump all of them together in one category. The general impression I have uh, from speaking to African Ugandans is that many of them are, are many were not in the favor of expulsion, especially those who were employed by Asians. Uh, the expulsion put many African Ugandans out of work. Some saw Asians as job providers and essential to the proper uh, functioning of the economy. There were others who were welcomed who welcomed the expulsion. This was mainly expressed by politicians who aligned with the means way of thinking. I've not come across any record of, uh, sorry, so there's no record of Chinese settlers in Uganda at the time. Arabs made up a very small proportion of the population. Um, the order was directed at the large Indian community, uh, particularly those in business, and the vast majority of whom the British pass were, had British passports. Were most Indians in Uganda at the time Gujaratis? Was the question put uh, to the journalist? Uh, were the Sikhs and Muslims among them? A large proportion of Indians, approximately 80%, were of Gujarati uh, origin, including both Hindus and Muslims. There were very few other Indians from different states in India, including Punjab. The official argument from expulsion seemed to hinge on national identity and economics rather than religious difference. Uh, consequently, uh, Muslim Indians were treated as the same as Hindu Indians. In the lead-up to Uganda's independence, the colonial government offered British nationality to people of Indian origin. A uh, majority choose to become British nationals, which seemed 
to be the obvious and uh, uh, more secure choice. A small amount opted for Ugandan citizenship. They were nego- they were negligible minority at um, at a guess around thousand Indian families choose Ugandan passports. Choosing Ugandan passports enabled you to trade in any part of the country without the same restrictions that were applied to those who carried British passports. Uh, you would expect that it would be played a that the Kenyan, um, the neighboring Kenyan expulsion of of um, Asians in 1968 set a precedent, uh, but there's not. Um no one's aware of Amin referring to the Kenyan expulsion at that point. The Kenyan Indians were expelled in a much more civilized way, but it was not at gunpoint. They were allowed to keep their possessions and leave with their money. Um, of the 90,000 or so Asians who left Uganda, did most go to Britain? Uh, around f- So the answer was around 50,000 Indians came to the UK. A small proportion went to India and a small uh, and many Ismailis, that means Muslims, went to Canada. Those who settled in the UK did have British passports and did have legal right to settle in Britain. However, most of them never lived in the UK before. Uh, a small number of Asians remain in Uganda, but that was not in defiance. Some were allowed to stay because of their vocation. A few had become Ugandan nationals at the time of independence. The sec- a general impression I have is that anyone who could escape did escape. The army had turned on the Asian community and everyone was afraid. Um, there were some who stayed behind. Um, and those who stayed behind, uh, one of them is the Muk. Mukwana group of companies is one of the biggest conglomerates in Uganda. Um, all assets were confiscated of Asian uh, Ugandans. They were army checkpoints on all major roads. Any gold, jewelry, and many money or money Asians were carrying with them was taken. Asians were unable to get access their bank accounts, so they landed in Britain without a penny to their name. A few of the wealthier Ugandan Asians families probably held foreign bank accounts, but the vast majority would have arrived in the UK with nothing. Uh, Indians did not really have any power to marginalize African Ugandans, is what they say. They were operating on the rules set by colonial government. The economic segregation primarily arose due to know-how and trading instincts of the Indians. Even when trading regulations did not favor the Indians, they still prospered. It was many politicians of a means persuasion that claimed uh, that the Indian community exploited Ugandans. Um, um, Indians were generally employed generally employed African Ugandans and from what I understand they did not really socialize. You could say the Indians were isolated but every community in Uganda socialized and mixed only amongst its own people. The Indians were not unique in behaving this way. This is also applied to Ugandan tribes and Europeans. Um, so the article goes on and on and basically it's just to give you the fact that in an gist, what happened is within a hundred years of the Asians, that means Indian, uh, Indian um, from the Indian subcontinent going to East Africa and especially Uganda, uh, 90% of the businesses were taken up by Indians. Okay, people of Indian descent, uh, and then when I say Indian those days, it it no, uh, it, it included uh, Pakistanis, what was Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, uh, Burma, uh, 
and all these con- the whole all these countries which are now separate countries but back then 150 years ago now today uh it was one subcontinent so that was basically what it was and uh they uh colonized economically colonized uganda so 90% of the economics was controlled by the by the asians and the asians badly mistreated the africans we know how asians of the subcontinent we treat africans people who are darker than us and they were badly treated uh, those who worked for them worked for them that's fine there were some in schools and, but by and large they did not socialize they did not consider them as equals they considered them as different people uh, basically that by and large that was what it was it, it, there was no connection they did not have trust in in there was no trust between the asians and um the the africans uh they did not have high posts they did not have any posts that controlled uh the economics um it was by and large they were second class citizens or should i say third class and there were tears even the ugandan president at one point in in documentaries i've seen him say there were three tears in in uganda at that time the white man was the highest the Asian, that means the South Asian Indian, was the second tier, and the Africans were the third class. So that's basically how it was. The Africans were treated as third class in their own country. So what do you expect? Is this not going to happen? I mean, 40, uh, 25 years earlier, we told the British to go home. That's fine. So the British came to our country, we told them to go home. So if the British came to our country and told, we told them to go home because they had taken over the economics of the land, why can't we do some other country do the same to us if we've taken over the economic colonization of the land? Yes, it did. And, and exactly what happened, the money came out of there, um, of Uganda, of Kenya, and they treated the Africans as third-class citizens. They were not socializing. They didn't have... Um, they didn't have they looked differently they treated they did not treat the africans well they had africans were given very very low jobs uh, not compared uh, to the jobs and the control that the asians had and now they've just come out of about 100 years of europe or 200 years of european colonization before now they have indians coming at the end of the day the, you don't think the africans are unhappy that the africans say enough is enough i mean why should i be colonized by people outside the land when i don't have rights in my own land and that's very very important to understand so these people then came back to the, their respective countries to india and some migrated to the uk canada australia wherever they wanted to the united states uh, and some came home to india like i said some stayed in uganda uh, today and these, like I said, these are the stories I first heard. I could not make heads or tails of it uh, that, you know, my cousins and my family members did not come from India. For me, they should have all come from India. And the stories that I heard did not make sense. And I was too young to, to you know, um, research them and understand them. It was only over the years and people started talking uh, about, you know, I, I researched these stories and, and Idi Amin and the ins and outs and the different sides and the 360 degrees and the angles of this and um it, it's uh, a sad story but the second generation uh, and third generation today now live in a bulk in the united kingdom um 
And, you know, some of them, like, pretend to be, and I'm, oh, racism, 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 oh, how the Brits mistreat us. But these same people, when they were in, in a position of uh, su supremacy or superiority, or they controlled the economics, did they treat the people below them or those who were subordinate to them as second-class or third-class citizens? Yes. So when we discriminate against others, when we on the top and we look down at others, the cycle will turn. We forget that one day the cycle will turn, the currents will form the waves, we will come crashing down because we cannot discriminate against others. We rise up and, and then after to go to another country and we expect to get equal treatment from this country when, when we were on the top in the previous cycle, we didn't, we didn't accord the same, we did not grant the same respect to the people below us. And so how, and what, what um, position do we have the, the, the audacity to point fingers at others? It's not possible. It's just not possible. It's very important to understand we are cyclic, as I've always said, currents and waves. It's our currents that form the waves. So we asked the, the Brits to respect us. They, we say they did not respect us. We got independence. Then after, all of a sudden, we realized, okay, well, you know, we, we can still go to other countries to do trade in Africa, who, who we've got more technology and knowledge than them. We go there, we inhabit their lands, we breed, we, we procreate, we have second and third generations. And then afterwards, we go there, but we mistreat their locals. We do not want to join hands with them. We don't want to rub shoulders hand to hand with them. Uh, maybe a few, yes, but the bulk of the people were not treated very Clearly, and you can see uh, video after video after video, and you can hear the stories, the stories that I heard, you know, the Africans, the Africans, the Africans, very badly treated. Um, and, you know, again, I'm generalizing it, there's plus and minus and everything. Um, but in a general way, the they were looked down upon by the Asian class of people. And that's disgusting. Uh, and so we don't expect when we go to other countries that people treat us the same way. Uh, did we ask the question? No, but we like to blame others for racism when we, what we're in, in reality, what we're really doing is we're accusing others of what we have already done. So we don't want to take our responsibility. We want others to be responsible for us. So, um, yes, so this is the hypocrisy. One of the reasons I bring this out, because it's very important to understand that people use this subject and say, oh, well, look, the Asians are badly treated. Racism, racism, racism. They are... None of them will absolutely talk about what the three fingers pointing back to each other. Um, and it, it's brought up many times, oh, racism that Asians face. And Rishi Sunak talked about racism he faced. But you know what? He just has to ask, and I support Rishi Sunak, very grateful to him. But he just has to look at the three fingers pointing back and all his history and the three generations and the four generations before him are even more than that. How, ma how many times, cycle after cycle, we disrespect? respect the people who are lower than us in the society and social structure and in, in, uh, subordinate to us. How do we treat them? Do we treat them well? No. And why do we expect someone to do the same thing to us? So it's very important to understand this. Um, so basically, that's what I want to, to, um, to bring about. Um, and it's very important to understand 
how this happens this is a cycle currents and waves it's our currents that form the waves and every junction we come to it we bring our baggage with it and we refuse to look at our baggage but we want to look at others and point fingers at others and if we undo this baggage generation after generation we will slowly come to a point where we understand that look we cannot change someone else we have to change ourselves and that's very important to say um and so every time you have this uh, um, situation where people are fuming on others, oh, racism, anti-racist, none of them want to look at themselves. And tomorrow we're going to talk about something very, very important. Um, and it's a great junction, uh, Prince Harry's book, Spare, and I've been reading up on it, not just for gossip's sake, but it's a very, very important junction to understand and learn from this and make it an intellectual laboratory so that we can we can improve ourselves at every junction we go and to better ourselves and better our lives. So uh, for this today's episode, I'm going to stop it here. I am, I you know, my voice is not 100% and not, you know, not the full force, but it's, I'm glad I just started back and I'm really happy to be with you uh thank you for all your support your positive energy i hope you've been well i hope you had a great great year thank you so much for joining me on my podcast religions regimes and refugees and their multicultural scam thank you very much and have yourselves a great day